This podcast is a production of WCWP, LIU Post Public Radio. Check out our lineup of original programs, listen live, or support by visiting WCWP.org. This is Review and Preview on WCWPSports.org. I am your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Kyle Russo and James Montefusco. We'll have Kyle here for the first hour tonight. James, you'll be sticking for the whole ride. Yep. Uh, quick reminder, you can call in. Thoughts, questions, comments, 516-299-2030. I actually spoke to uh, our co-host, Tommy the Mac McNamara, who has not been on the show on a while. He's doing well. He will not be calling in tonight, but he will be listening. And we'll try to see if we can get johnny on the line tonight uh reminder we are podcasting podcast slash apple itunes type in on your podcast app on your phone review and preview tomorrow morning you'll hear us up probably around noon one o'clock in the afternoon uh let's get right into things breaking news what's hot what's storming and the mlb draft is happening next week june 4th to june 6th and last year um we actually had um, the head coach of Monsignor McClancy Memorial High School for the baseball team, Nick Melito, call into the show back when Brian Marbach was hosting. And two of his kids got drafted straight out of high school. Wow. Quinton Holmes in the second round and right-handed pitcher Charlie Neuweiler in the fifth. Um, so, yeah, you know, just goes to show you. Then that was the first time two kids from Queens got drafted that high in – a matter of over 30 years um you know that's a high school literally five minutes down the road from my house so uh it's basically where all the guys in my family went to high school so um the mlb draft is near i don't think mcclancy will have any studs coming out this year that high um but we'll be looking forward to see um if any high school kids do get picked because it's not uncommon for them to go early on in the draft. Uh, mostly college guys come out early. But, uh, Kyle, speaking of going out early, Matt Kemp, talk about going out like a star. This guy is leading the National League in batting, had a four RBI night last night, and... He's just been incredible. Without having Justin Turner the first six weeks of the season, Kemp has really picked up the slack. 345 average and 30 RBIs. Yeah. He, he's been a monster. He has and been. And he's been around. Yep. He's been around for quite some time. Yep. And he's been a real bright spot for this L.A. Dodgers uh, team. You know, when he was traded to the Dodgers at first, there was a lot of people saying, you know, he's kind of old. You know, he has a big contract. Are they going to cut him before they even get to spring training? You know, they let him go through spring training. He had a great spring training. And now he's really carrying this team offensively. Like you said, Tom, he has the best numbers on the team right now in a batting average. Yeah. Leads him in RBIs. Leads him on on base percentage. Uh, so, like you said, Matt, uh, like you said, Tom, he, he's one of their best players right now. And for a Dodgers team that has been very, very bad to start off the season, yeah. he's been a bright spot in this lineup. Well, with how... Um, funky, the National League West has been the Dodgers are right there in the mix yep. right now. I mean, they're still a few games back, but uh, you brought up his on-base percentage is through the roof. 926 OPS, on-base plus slugging percentage. 
that's incredible in, uh, in itself. And James, this guy has not – Matt Kemp has not been an all-star since you and I were in high school. 2012, the last time Matt Kemp was an all-star. That's a long time. Yeah. Looking back, um, he deserves it the way the numbers are looking right now. I mean, he's leading the NL in batting. Um, you know, you have to put him in consideration for an all-star appearance. Even though if it's, it's not starting, he, if he's one of the subs later on, yeah. I think um, he should be considered at least thrown that name in there. He deserves it at yeah. least. And an 8-2 win over the Philadelphia Phillies for the Dodgers last night. Um, there's a lot of questions if he'll be the Dodgers left fielder next year, uh, questioning if he'll return to the team. I mean, you're not even a third of the way into the season. I mean, you're just about there, but... Um, you know, this guy's been incredible. 58 hits so far. I'm pretty sure that leads the team. And, man, he, he's been awesome. Se- seven home runs, 30 RBIs. He's not a guy that swings for power either. You know, he's more of a yeah. line drive type hitter um, who's really uh, zeroed in on opposing pitchers. And speaking of pitchers, the th- this kid Otani from the Angels, he's a stud. He for really a, is. A, a rookie. Is this guy a potential rookie of the year candidate? I think he is. Just what he brings to the table for this LA Angels team. I mean, uh, not only does he does do it with his arm, but when he gets a bit bad, yeah. I mean, the guy could hit. Yeah. You know, he's not just he's not this powerhouse type of guy, just like we were talking about with Kemp, but he could hit the ball out of the park. Yeah. And his pitching. I was watching some of the highlights on the Tigers game last night. Otani has a breaking ball, man. That. These batters cannot resist on. They swing mm-hmm. every single time. Right. And and he's and he throws fire. 101.1 mile per hour fastball in this loss to the uh, Tigers last night. This kid could pitch, and he could hit. This kid, he's 23 years old. He's a lefty, hence the term kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he made $270 million last year in Japan. $270 million? Well, I don't know if that correlates to America. Japanese oh. currency. Okay. Because um, I was going to say, I'm not 23 sure years what old. that would be, yeah. but two hundred seventy million. The kid's making a living, and talk about his arm. Clocked over a hundred one miles per hour last night. The Angels <laughs> did lose six to one to the Tigers, but in the five innings he pitched, just one run ball, three hits. He's looked very solid. His ERA is just over three. Remember, for a guy who's also a hitter and a pitcher, I mean, he's lights out. I mean. You know, you're looking at Noah Syndergaard for the Mets clocking yeah. in sometimes 98, 99. Um, yeah, I know he's gotten he clocks at around 99, mm-hmm. but uh, this Otani kid, he's he's been very fun to watch. And even people who don't know baseball, like I have people texting me about this guy, like he's the real deal. Yep, he really is. And um, part of the reason why the Angels have been so successful this year is his presence, a 4-1 record in his eight starts. Um, you know, his last seven games, he's pitched really well, ERA under three, and he's got 57 strikeouts on top of it. Um, and then you're looking at his batting stats as well. The guy's got 30 hits. You know, he's a 291 hitter as well. Yep. So, From a pitcher, no less. Yeah. So, Well, who's also who's also a born hitter because he hit and pitched consistently. You know, in Japan? And, yeah, and here's uh-huh. the thing. In the American League, it's hard because pitchers don't hit. I feel like this guy would be more built for a National League team yep. in terms yeah. of pitchers hitting. And I'm sure on the Mets, he'd probably get cleanup at this rate. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. 
Uh, for all you Met fans listening, that was no pun intended. Um, <laughs> speaking of puns, you know, I'm a little confused about this, but speaking of that Tigers-Angels game last night, from a baseball perspective, Otani was the highlight of the game, for the Angels at least, but there was a wild goose chase during last night's rain delay of that game. Yep. That's yeah. funny. It is. Yep. The Angels weren't the only ones covering the outfield. You know, the Goose yeah. was running the bases, and then he ended it off with a nice flew right into the scoreboard. I believe it was in the stands. He flew right into one of the LED things, LED signs. It fell down right into the stands. <laughs> yep. And this random lady had picked him up and had treated him like it was a child. Yeah, I think it was a Tigers fan that picked up the Goose. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but I heard the Goose was all right and stuff, so... Yep. In case anybody was concerned about that. Look, <laughs> you know, you got the occasional squirrel or cat that's good fun, but those animals, remember, they lack the ability to fly. Yep. Go- yeah. Gooses can fly, and apparently there was some report, I could be wrong, the goose came from Canada? I don't, how is that even, I, I, I heard impossible? some weird report while the game was being played in Detroit, which is not far, um, it's not really the typical goose that you would see every day. Yes, actually, um, the goose flew down from Canada and was hanging out on the field while the two teams stayed dry from the rain. That's crazy. I just got the report up, and this is not some fake site. This is MLB.com <laughs> reporting this stuff. That's crazy. So, um, That's crazy. Not to digress any further, uh, the Pirates and Cubs had a bench-clearing brawl last night. Well, not really brawl. Uh, Apologies there, folks. A bench-clearing confrontation between uh, Joe Musgrove of the Pirates and Javier Baez of the Cubs. What happened was Musgrove slid into second base hard in the bottom of the third inning with no intention, Mm. um, and Baez kind of elevated off the bag a little bit. Baez did not like the reaction, and as Musgrove is walking back to the dugout as he was tagged out, and prevented the double play, Baez was not too happy. So the two spoke, and eventually it all ended, and, you know, you had 100 bodies out on the field, literally just to walk out there to walk back. Yep. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you noticed also, once they got to the uh, dugout, the Pirates, I believe it was Diaz, you know, he high-fived Musgrove and everything, you know, because especially, right. you know, I'm sorry, looking out for this type of stuff, especially after what happened with Anthony, uh, Anthony Rizzo of the Cubs a couple days ago yeah. in this Pirates series. A similar so. slide. Yep. Yeah. That one was more dirty, intentful. Yeah. Yep. Um, you wouldn't think these guys would slide that way anymore. Right. But, you know. And the thing is, Musgrove is a big dude. He's 6'5". If I'm Javier Baez. I'm backing off. Under six feet tall. Yeah. Yep. Like, he's the second tallest guy on their team. Um, but yeah, um, and you know, what's crazy. Musgrove is actually a pitcher. Mm. Really? Yeah. So that's, what's really surprising to me. Oh yeah. They got him when the, when the Houston Astros, they got him from Houston. Yep. In the, uh, Garrett Cole trade. Yep. Yeah. He was part of that. I recognize that name. And he's done good. Yeah. He's done a lot of good for them this season. Yep. Um, so Glad to see no suspensions, no anything, no brawl for that matter as well. Um, he's 2-0 and so far on the season with an ERA under one, keep in mind. So I really like what he's brought to the table. And, you know, 
we're talking about pitchers moving around like Musgrove and some pitchers who have not taken the mound for a while, some in nearly two years. As last night, Tampa Bay Rays' Nathan Yavaldi, six hitless frames, so a no-hitter through six innings and a 6 nothing win. That's his first start that he made since 2016. Incredible accomplishment. You know, to come back, you know, to come back after having... I believe didn't I believe he had Tommy John surgery? He was, did. So to come back from that and, and throw out that type of game is absolutely incredible. Yeah. You know, especially back in your first start as a pitcher in the MLB. Right. You know, not you know, this guy hasn't been in the league for almost two years now. You know, yeah. you don't know the type of batters <laughs> you're gonna be facing. You know, yeah. they develop. And with the Rays too, only six innings and you took him out. Why'd you take him out? Let and him you finish. You should the game. know Nathan Yavaldi pretty well. As a Yankee, yeah. To play for the Yankees yep. and his last start he made was as a New York Yankee back on August 10th, 2016. Um, And things really could not have gone any better. Look, when you come back from Tommy John, James, there's going to be a pitch limit, and the pitch limit for him was 75 pitches. Oh, okay. They took him out after six through only 70 pitches. So could he have kept going? Probably. Yes, but... Let's not risk it. Due to the circumstances. You know, they would have probably thrown him out there probably for a batter, you would imagine. Yeah. In the seventh. So... If I was a coach seeing on what he's at, I may or may not throw him out, but I would probably just sit him. And keep in mind that this game last night was played against the Oakland Athletics. They're a 500 team this year, and they're a much improved team. Um, As of late, they've been, eh, they've lost six out of their last ten, but the Athletics are not a go-to-sleep team. No. Um, And I'm pretty sure Chris Davis returned from the DL recently. Yep. which is a big boost for them. And they're actually playing again today, currently in progress. Athletics are up 3 nothing over the Rays in the top of the sixth inning. But back to Yovaldi for a second. To come back from Tommy John and have that type of performance, it really serves as a testament to how determined a guy is. It's not always about you know how good you are in your prime, but... When you come back from an injury, there's usually a downfall in your play mm-hmm. to start. Yeah. Um, and he he looked even better than the way he was pitching for the Yankees. Absolutely. Um, when the injury happened. Mm-hmm. Um, very I, impressive. I would like to see how they go forward with him. Yeah. Because Tommy John's surgery, as we both know, Tom, can do wonders yeah. or can do a downfall. Right. Um, so if they keep him on a good pace on a good track whatever whatever have them um he could be a rising star again yeah and another thing too this really helps out tampa bay as a ball club because they run that four-man modified rotation yep so to have a guy like him back um you know it's good yep and you know (laughs) Like I said, this is no go-to-sleep team. You're facing a guy, Jed Lowry, two to three times. So to get him out consistently, great sign. Um, Speaking of injuries, Phillies' Reese Hoskins is headed to the 10-day DL with a fractured jaw. Um, Not good. No. Hoskins, one Mm -hmm. of the better young players on that team. Yep. And the Phillies will definitely miss him because right now the National League East is a three-team race. Yep. Yes. At the moment. After uh, ten day. Oh, you go, James. My uh, bad. After uh, Atlanta lost last night, that knocked him out of first. Yeah. Well, the Mets beat the Braves, which 
put the Nationals in front by half a game, yeah. yep. who we'll get to in a little bit. Um, so Hoskins on the DL, and, you know, sometimes good teams have to get through these injuries, and if you're the Phillies, you're not in a terrible spot. You're seven games over five hundred, but they're four and six in their last ten games, yep. and it doesn't get much easier for Philadelphia, who... They're a good home team, but they have struggled on the road this yep. season. Mm-hmm. Um, Clayton Kershaw back tonight, yeah. activated off the DL for the L.A. Dodgers, making his first start since May 1st. 1-4 uh, record for Kershaw on the season, and he does not have an easy matchup tonight at all. Um, I think the Dodgers are playing the Phillies again. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of Hoskins just a moment ago, facing Aaron Nola. Pretty sure Nola just 24 years old, six and two record on the season. He's been a real gem for Philadelphia, but this should be a very interesting matchup because despite Kershaw's one and four posting, his ERA is under three. Yeah. So absolutely, he's you know, an ace. He's a CY Young candidate when healthy yeah, every yes. year. Mm-hmm. Southpaw, yeah, you know, be a we, good pitching matchup. When we talk about guys coming off injury, I know obviously nowhere near the significance of Yavaldi. Right. and having the Tommy John surgery. But just any time a guy misses a significant amount of time, you know, as a pitcher, yeah. for Clayton Kershaw, this is a game where, you know, this is a game they could win. You're missing an offensive dominant powerhouse in Rice Hopkins. Uh, yeah. So take advantage of that. You know, you're you're a legendary pitcher. Like you said, Tom, possible CY, young candidate. You know, go back out there, make your first start since May 1st, and and show us what you got. And this is big for the Dodgers because not only do you get Turner back, you get Kershaw back as well. Turner's been hitting the rock well. Uh, Kershaw, having him in your rotation is always excellent. Yep. Look, you still miss Seager. Bellinger is starting to come around a little bit. He's getting more and more hits mm-hmm. as they go. So we'll see where L.A. turns out. NL West is up for grabs. No clue who's going to come out of that. Um, last block on this segment the Houston Astros now lead the Major League Baseball power rankings. According to ESPN, they are followed by the Red Sox and the Yankees. The Astros, who just lost two out of three to the Yankees. The Astros, the defending World Series, the World Series champions, losing two out of three to the Yankees. Yep. But the Red Sox still have the best record in baseball, 39-17. Uh, and 17. Quick question before we go to break. Two, actually. One. Is Houston the best team in baseball right now? I think they are. I really do. I think just all around, you know, the pitching that they have compared to the Red Sox and Yankees, you know, the Yankees okay, are the team up. where batting-wise, they're offensively powerhouse. They don't have to worry about that. But pitching, yeah. like you see with guys like CeCe, only be able to pitch four or five innings. You know, Sonny Gray, we don't know what we're going to get from him. Right. Tanaka, up in the air. And As then Tommy you, Mack says, one pitch away from yeah, blowing off his arm. Exactly. And <laughs> then you know, to Tommy Mack. You got a guy like Severino, but when you see guys like Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, you got Garrett Cole, Charlie Morton, yeah. Dallas Keuchel eventually, you know he'll McCullers. turn around. McCullers, all these good – Verlander, all these guys. We forgot about the – How do we forget about the guy with 1.1 1. 1 ERA? Yeah. This, you know, this team is – you think about that? Probably the most consistent and stable team out of the three. Right. Yeah. Well, look, I think we're going to find out tonight because the Astros return home to Minute Maid Park. They will be hosting the Boston Red Sox, yep. who have the best record in baseball right now at 39-17, and 17, which leads me to ask, will Boston be the first team to surpass the 40-win mark? I think so. I think so. Down. 
I, I don't Maybe. really know who's the closest right now. I think Houston might be the yeah, closest. Yeah, Houston, I think, has 36 wins, I Houston believe. Houston has 35. Houston 35. has 35. Boston has 39. And the Yankees, I believe, have 35 as well. Yeah. So yep. hands down, Boston's going to get to 40 before anybody else. But Milwaukee has the second most wins in the major leagues at 36. So pretty much set in stone. I don't see Boston going on a four-game losing streak. No. no. So, and if they do, something seriously must happen. Yeah. All right, so on that note, we're going to wrap up our first segment. When we come back, we are going to get through the New York Mets. Should they sell the team? Wow. Did I just ask that, James? I think you did. All Tom. right, let's find out when we come back from break. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I am your host, Tom Scavetta, joined by James Montefusco. Kyle Russo. I'm getting used to saying that by now. Um, <laughs> What's up, guys? So, before we went to break, I asked, will the Mets sell the team? Well, there was a fire at City Field yesterday. Yes, One of the display cases at the Jackie Robinson Rotunda, but James, it's reported just the rugs. Yeah, they, I heard they keep like some rugs and stuff under there that was mostly that was on fire. Other than that, uh, what I've heard and what I've somebody told me it doesn't sound like the display cases which is great for me and you both know Tom we have the uh, our wonderful World Series collection on that side of the field where the fire happened so luckily that wasn't touched yeah um, speaking of those Mets they are one game over 500 27 and 26 they rank fourth in the National League East and they split the series with the Atlanta Braves, which is not a bad sign. No. But what it could have been was a four-game sweep of the first-place team in the NL East at that time, um, but two blown saves got in the way. Yeah. So it just goes to show you, normally I'd say a team is what their record says. The Mets have the talent to be a first-place team. Okay. But their back-end bullpen pitching is not cutting it. It's... Between the injuries and the bullpen pitching, uh, Lugo blew a save, the guy who's starting tonight. Jacob yeah. Jacob Ram blew a save as well, and then 24 hours later he gets sent down to the minor leagues. So Mickey Calloway not messing around. Keep in mind the Mets are 15-25 and 25 now. 15 wins, 25 losses since their 11-1 start. Still tough. Um, yeah, very tough. And now you have Thor on the DL. Syndergaard um, strained a ligament in his right index finger, 10-day DL. And you think it couldn't get any worse? I'll tell you, Tom. You know, watching – because I put a couple of these Mets games on. Here comes the humor. It's just – it's like <laughs> it's like getting your teeth pulled. It is the worst thing ever imaginable. Right. I mean, they can't close out a game. No. I mean, Matt's. I know we get. I know Matt's gets hurt, but you had a six-two lead. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? You get paid to do one job, and you can't do it. And this Mets team, I don't understand how they don't get it. They have a pitching coach as their manager. What's the problem between starting pitching, relieving pitching? What's the problem with the relieving coach, and why hasn't he been fired already? Because this team is blowing games. Their yeah. pitching is carrying them. And they can't close it out with the relievers. It is absolutely terrible and disgusting to watch. Not just as a baseball fan, but as a New Yorker. You know, this is 
as teams represent your state. It's a poor representation of what's happening, to be honest. It really is. It really is. Robert Giselman needs to be the closer of this team. Yep. Mo- moving forward. Jay Roos Familia should be, at, at best, the setup man. At best. And that's being generous at this point. Well, he did that last night. He did. He pitched the and eighth. He held the lead. Well, because Rosario had that great save. Right. If Rosario had that great save, yeah. we could be talking about how they lost. Look, he gets rocked most of the time. Jay Roos Familia is probably the most inconsistent player in baseball. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, closer for sure, hands down. Yep. Um, yeah, you know it, it's very tough with this uh, rotation right now because you have Thor on the DL, uh, Matt's day to day with a finger injury, but he should be good to go for his next start. Hopefully, um, Jason Vargas finally showing signs of life. Yeah. Last night, getting his second win of the season. I think these last two starts from Vargas have kept him in the rotation but I want to piggyback off of that what you said but sure he only lasted five innings last night because he felt tired right does that give you concern or is that okay because he was pitching on short rest I think if well that was a spell start yeah for Jason Vargas that was supposed to be Syndergaard's start last night yes well not only that but just in general Jason Vargas is an old pitcher He's not young. I mean, so he's, he's not going to yeah. yeah, do what he did as a, a young pitcher. But can I but, say one thing, though, about Vargas? Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of people forget this. He was an all-star yeah. last year. 18 wins. Yeah. He led the. He tied for the most wins in the American League. And now this? So who do you blame it on, Tom? So who do you blame it on? I mean, as bad as the Kansas City Royals were last year, well, Jason Vargas was a bet. You can't. I mean, who do you blame it on? I mean, really. Vargas himself. Okay. Yeah. He, he was not physically ready for this season. No. Uh, look, there's nothing Mickey Callaway can do. You went out, you signed the guy, uh, low risk. 18 wins. Potential high reward. You know, hoping for the next Bartolo Colon, except 10 years younger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, look. The pitching has been disgusting as of late, but the last couple of days, the starters have at least held their own. Uh, let's talk about Ram blew the save after le- after losing the lead on Tuesday. Him, Philip Evans, and, oh boy, Pat Conlon, who started game two of the doubleheader. I think that was Monday against Atlanta. They, I uh, believe they had a doubleheader yeah, on I think Monday. So. Yes, because yeah. that, that game started at, I believe, 11 Later. or something yeah. because of a rain. The rain delay. Yep. Um, Pat Conlon is not ready for Major League Baseball. No. Nope. Not, nope. not not even close. So him, Ram, and Phillip Evans all go down. Ligaris gets transferred to the 60-day DL. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge surprise. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, but called up is Buddy Ballman, the left-handed pitcher, in addition to righties Tim Peterson and Scott Copeland called up for the first time. Peterson actually made his debut in Atlanta last night. So, hey, welcome to the major leagues. I saw him holding a bat as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. He pitched two innings. Um, he got in at bat. Look, he was impressive. I mean, he he wasn't impressive. I mean, he did give up the one run of the night, but he didn't, you know, he, he wasn't awful. Um, I know he gave up the home run, but besides that, Looking at his pitching distribution, it was decent stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he had the one home run and he had the walk, but remember, he pitched two innings and okay. he held the lead. He did not give up the lead. Um, yes, he has a lot of work to do, but uh, he did you know, his job. It's great nice. to see him get the opportunity, and this may be a desperation move from the Mets to bring up Peterson and Copeland because Callaway is be- beginning to run out of options. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you know, when you hear this in the morning about all these guys that they're bringing up, all these guys that they're sending down, you're like, who are these guys? <laughs> like, who is this? You know, because you know the Mets. Yeah. I mean, no, every absolutely. single player is going yeah. on the DL left and right. Right. So you're expecting this type of reaction. But, like, who are these guys? And like you said, Tom, yeah, the pitcher last night looked good. Yeah. You know, he's, these guys were not supposed to be brought up. But because of the severity of everybody's injury left and right, you know, what else could you do? And the inefficiencies of Conlon and Jacob Ram. Yep. Yeah. Uh, speaking of these guys coming up from the minor leagues, we talked about Peterson and Copeland and Buddy Bauman back up. Um, Alonso is raking in the minor leagues. He had three hits for Binghamton last night in AAA. Look, sooner or later he's going to get called up. What position is he? You think he's a first baseman? Yeah, I think so. First baseman, okay. Yeah. So you'd be taking away Gonzalez's spot. All right. Okay. Well, I don't think he would be uh, starting if he got called up. No, no, without a doubt. He's only 23 years old. Yep. He got drafted in the second round of the 2016 draft. And to be really the Mets' number one top prospect, Peter Alonso is at this time for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. <laughs> I repeat, the Binghamton <laughs> Rumble Ponies. Um <laughs> Can't get any worse Look, than that. No, he's got he's got a good frame, six three. Rumble ponies. So still trying Rumble to ponies. still trying to regain our composure. Oh my god! Here on the show, um, look, it's a team name. Um, <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> so Alonso had three hits last night, and he's only twenty three years old. So I really think that. You know, he turns 24 in December, so he's still extremely young. And he could be, I'm pretty sure, with how the Dom Smith project failed, he's basically an afterthought at this point. Yeah, I think Peter Alonso may be the next first baseman in a year or two for the New York Mets. You know, if if things keep on going the way they are for the Mets, you might see him as early as July. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. things aren't looking brighter for this Mets team. Look, 14 home runs, 44 RBIs, 35 walks. 337 average, 459 on base percentage, 624 slugging percentage. The numbers are there. They are. And he has 60 hits and 178 at bats. So realistically, he might be the guy. But let's see. Speaking of young guys on the team, Brandon Nimmo has the fifth based on base percentage in the major leagues at 422. And I think having Nimmo as the leadoff guy, I think he's there to stay oh, yes. in the leadoff yeah. position. Because yes. mm-hmm. if you look at the lineup that came out tonight, Nimmo's it's third. Nimmo leading off again. Then you got Cabrera, Batista moving up to, num- to number three. Conforto cleaning up. Messerocco fifth. Jay Bruce down to number six. I like that a lot. Rosario yep. up to seven. I think he deserves that. Luis Guillorme is eighth. And then Lugo ninth. Yep. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. With how bad Bruce has been and yeah. how much he struggled with his bat. Uh, I think six is um, res- respectable off. for him. At yeah, this point. at this point, yeah. 
That's that's bad though when you're hitting behind Devin Mesoraco. Yeah, he's arguably he's arguably been one of their worst signings in the, this past offseason. Like really, and you know we all know how bad Vargas has been. But when do but the at Mets least we make see a, a bright spot? Signing. They when, don't. When do the Mets make a good signing? Well, I know all, all my Mets friends when they signed back Bruce, all they were they were taking out their Bruce shirts again. You know they were all mad about the fact that yeah. he was traded to the Indians. And, you know they all took out their Bruce shirts yeah. in excitement. Uh, you know, even the Mets, just an exciting signing. You know, right. you gave the guy three yeah. years. Yep. Forty uh was it thirty nine million dollars, I believe. Yep. So you plan on having this guy for the next couple of years and he's just not three home runs. And not the performing. Mets we're fine this series without Jay Bruce. Yep. Offensively yeah. wise. They beat the Braves four to one last night. They split the series, which knocked Atlanta out of first place, and the Mets are two decent late innings away from sweeping. The first place Atlanta Braves. Oh yes. On the road. Yeah. Keep in mind. Good. Turn stuff around, man. Cause, yes. Because this past month really has been terrible. Look, don't forget we talked about Astrubal Cabrera possibly cooling off. Those two home runs on Tuesday night. He's yep. not cooling off. <laughs> man, he has been incredible. He's playing every day. I love it. He's been a stud, James. And oh, talk yeah. about Jose Bautista for a minute. And he's how a good excellent he's been. I wasn't happy with the signing when it first came about. I don't think anybody was. Another old guy playing on the team. You know, what are we? I was originally thinking and talking to my friends, what what are we, like an old man team? Like, we're putting out. Right, because the Mets, at this time last week, they were old and they were bad. Yes. I, yes. I still think they're old they're still and old. they're bad. <laughs> but if you look at what Batista has produced ever since he's joined the Mets. He's been producing pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Tom when uh, he was first signed a couple of uh, weeks ago. You know, we were making jokes. We were like, oh, well, now the Mets have the best team of 2010. Yeah. And, and yeah. Then, Gonzalez, and then, Batista. Yeah. yeah. It's And you know what? He's showing. He's really showing up. I believe he had a 143 when he joined the Mets. Yep. And I believe he's up in the 200s, mid-200s. 368. 368. Yeah. 368. Yeah. In one week. Kyle, eight days. Oh my! One forty-three to three sixty-eight in eight days. Good. Get some offensive production out of the we bats. We were because... trashing this guy oh, last yeah. week. We were. We were. We were ready to throw him in the fire. We were absolutely <laughs> disgusted with this signing. And when the Mets signed him, the first inst- Instagram post, half the comments said, "Why?" Yeah. Question mark. I said that all Well, over. guess what? I think that question, why, has been answered. Yep. Uh, yeah. At least for the short term, the time being, he's been incredible, and he's hitting third. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Which really says something. I thought he would have Which been. Which says something to how bad the Mets are as a lineup. Yeah. <laughs> look, nothing. But look, Frazier and Cespedes are looming returns, guys. They're they're on their way back. I think also for Batista, it's a whole new, it's a new team. New uh, new stadium. Atmosphere. Yeah. You know, so for some guys that works. Right. All they do need is a little change. Um, you know, and for other guys, they're the same or even worse. So yeah. um, I'm looking forward to what's to come. And if Jay Bruce continues this way when Cespedes comes back, I know Jay Bruce is a second-half guy, but he needs to at least produce something now. Yeah. Um, if he's still producing what he's producing when Cespedes gets back, I feel like Batista will be there, and Jay will be more on the bench, more working yeah. on his hitting and you stuff. You start Conforto, Nimmo, Cespedes in your outfield. That's how yep. it would be, yep. and they probably throw Nimmo and right. Yeah, yes. probably. Um, yeah. But look, there's two guys we haven't really touched upon yet. 
um, which are part of the reason why the Mets are still over 500. And those two guys are the trade product in the Matt Harvey trade, Devin Messeracco. Oh, yes. Former All-Star and Ahmed Rosario, who everybody was trashing up until last week. Yeah. Rosario actually had a good start to the year. Then he fell off a little bit. But the guy's young. The Mets are so quick to say, oh, this guy stinks. Give him a chance. What is he, 22? You know, he's 22. You know what it is, Tom and James? It's I'm not, and listen, I'm a Yankee fan. I'm not mm-hmm. comparing anything between the two organizations. But when you, when you see guys like Gleyber Torres and Miguel Andujar already come up, only been up for a month, yeah. and you see on less than 10 minutes away, and these guys are absolutely balling out. Yeah. Gleyber Torres, I believe, already has nine or ten home runs right now. Miguel Andujar is looking like a solid third baseman. couple errors on the infield, right? but it worked through it. And these guys are already candidates for Rookie of the Year. So when you see a guy like this who started last season, towards the end of the season, got some playing time, played well at the end of last season, and now is coming off having this ugly middle of the season, you know. So that's what you you expect because this is your young guy. This is one of your only top prospects in your farm system. So you expect immediate impact. The Mets don't have any type of protection in their lineup compared to the Yankees. Yeah. Yeah. And Rosario is not a power hitter to begin with. No, no, he's a shortstop. Yeah, so. you should be expecting base hits and walks from him. Yeah, you know, if he gets a ground rule double or uh, he had that one game, he hit those two home runs. Yeah, uh, Rosario and Mesoraco both hitting over three fifty in their last seven games. Um, and to wrap up the Mets here, guys, they open up a four game series tonight against Chicago. Seth mm-hmm. Lugo will take the mound his first start of the season. One and one record, two point four eight ERA. Lugo started some games last year, James. Yes. And he'll be going off against Jose Quintana, five and four, ERA just under five. So I think this pitching matchup, uh, on paper it favors Lugo. Yeah. But Quintana has been part of Chicago's success. Yeah. Yes. I think it's really just the you know, when you look at wins, you really gotta look into them because sometimes the wins are not really what they represent. Jose Quintana is a great pitcher in this league, but the batting for the Cubs this year has just not been there. They've been very inconsistent. Yeah. It's been carried by Javier, ba- uh, Javier Baez and guys like Chris Bryant and guys like Anthony Rizzo. But other than that, there's really been no produ- uh, production at the batting standpoint. Yeah. But this will definitely be an interesting matchup. You know, Lugo finally gets a start. I know the past couple shows we've been saying, when is Lugo going to get the start? Because the pitching out of everybody else just wasn't looking that great. And so, you, you know, we'll see. We'll see what this guy's capable of. Hopefully uh, pitching about five, six innings. That's what I was just going to bring up, Kyle. Uh, I want to see how long he's going to go since he's in the pen. I mean, he's a starter, but we threw him in the pen for the pen help. Right. But does he still have that same stamina he had to go five, yeah. six, seven, maybe? So that's what I'm going to watch, and I'm going to see how he yeah. deals with base runners through. Yep. The first three. I think the success for the Mets over this next week and over this brutal um, stretch over their next 24 games that are mostly road games. Um, I know they're home against Chicago, but... I think we have the Yankees, too. Yeah. The Mets, they need to be on their game. They need to get healthy again. They need Frazier and Cespedes back. Uh, They need Syndergaard back by next week. And Lugo needs to start... Giselman needs to be the closer. Yeah. Yes. And one other thing, one other report. Mm-hmm. David Wright was caught playing catch, <laughs> and apparently he is a couple weeks away from resuming baseball activities. Resuming baseball activities like what? As in sitting in the dugout and watching your team. 
No. They're, they're, they're actually saying there's a chance he plays this year. Really? Which, I wouldn't doubt a chance, but but this soon already? And plus, who do you, you know? Todd Frazier you know, is their starting third baseman. But there's so many reports like that. I don't know. There's no room for David Wright. What's he going to do, play first? No. He's just been so shoddy and inconsistent as a, as a healthy year, player. But I just what, it was a report I had to throw in what there. What they'll do, Reyes and him always wanted to play together ever since Reyes got it back on the team. They have to put both of them out for at least an inning. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, yeah. Look, yeah, you know, it, it, it would be nice. I mean, they're both in their mid-30s now, so mid mid to late 30s. On that note, we're going to wrap up the Mets. We're going to step aside for a quick break. When we come back, it's time to talk New York Yankees. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. Good evening, folks, and welcome back to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo and James Montefusco, and we actually got a call during the break, and Kyle, we're about to speak with also Kyle. How's it it going? Good. How are you guys doing? Good. Great to have you calling in on our show. No problem. So I hear... um, I hear you've been watching the Stanley Cup playoffs, and you have a few comments on the Mets. Uh, yes, yes, I do. Uh, I, I'll start with the Stanley Cup playoffs. I gotta say, this game one and two, like this is for a long time in a really long time. Like this has been a really fun first two games for the Stanley Cup playoffs. I don't know what you guys think, but like watching these two games the last the last two uh, like a couple of days has been nuts. Yeah, absolutely, Kyle. I'd have to agree with you. I'm a big, a big hockey guy. You know, and uh, when you see a Stanley Cup like this, this is a once in a generational type of Stanley Cup that we got here. You know, we got a legendary Alex Ovechkin, who, you know, for years and years and years has carried this Capitals team, and he's finally got something behind him. And then you see something like this, which I don't think we'll ever see. Again, you know, having a team like Vegas, an expansion team, getting to the Stanley Cup Finals and being favorites over a veteran team like this Capitals team, well-coached team, absolutely incredible. They were set up to win. We'll have a Stanley Cup did it, but that's a whole different discussion. But yeah, how the NHL did it with with Vegas and stuff. But that's totally different. Yeah. Oh. And uh, so I hear uh, you guys obviously well deserved, but like trashed the Mets a lot, which obviously they deserve to be trashed. But uh, I hear some points that uh, Carl Russo makes about like Joey, like Jose Batista, and like how this Mets bullpen is the worst ever. Uh, I have a hard time disagreeing with the, the Mets bullpen is the worst ever because they're clearly, I've seen over the years, a lot more worse Mets bullpens than the things I see today, like in this team today. Well, uh, Kyle, just to, just to back up my point, maybe over-exaggerated with saying the worst bullpen that we've ever seen out of this Mets organization, but this is definitely a top one. I mean, honestly, there is nothing good about this bullpen right now. Really nothing. I mean, we, we've seen it. I mean, that game against Atlanta, they should have won. There's no reason oh, why they should have a they, loss they with that record. Right. I think I what Kyle's saying, Kyle, is that there's been worse. Like, remember the J.J. Putzes, the Sean Greens, Billy yeah. Wag. Like, there, there's been much worse Absolutely. bullpens. Yep. Uh, K, K-Rod for a while. 
I definitely agree with what you're saying. This is definitely not the worst bullpen, but do you think Familia needs a little wake-up call and maybe he should be their setup guy moving forward well, until he's ready? Well, that's what the Mets have been doing. Yeah. The Mets obviously don't trust Familia, and that's why they put the Zellman in the ninth inning last night. Yeah. Yep. I think uh, I think that's where Giselman needs to stay right now. I think he's been very efficient there. And, you know, there's been reports on Gary Apple, SNY, Nelson Figueroa saying Giselman's really their only consistent guy out of the bullpen, and he probably most likely deserves that closer spot right now. He's the best guy. And then it's been interesting to see. James, I have a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. What, what are the Mets going to do when – Nimmo, uh, when Cespedes comes back, like, what do you do with Nimmo? Or do you just bench Bruce because because Bruce is terrible? Like, what do you do? You have to bench Bruce. I mean, th- th- this kid has a smile on every day. He's hitting, I don't know, he has like two or three hits a night. You need you need to have him play to continue his hot streak. If that means subbing him and Conforto every night, if that means giving Cespedes some more time off ever since he comes back, or I just sit Bruce for a little while. Exactly. Oh, and you can't take out Joey Bats because Joey Bats is uh, hitting at the moment. Yeah. And can yeah. play the field. And clearly made a nice catch last night. Like, he hasn't been a detriment to the team so far. Yeah, absolutely, Kyle. You bring up a great point in uh, Jose, Bautista, uh, Jose Bautista. And, you know, you see how he's been rewarded since being with the Mets, already being in the number three slot uh, for the batters already, only being with the team for a couple weeks, I believe, now. Yeah, he's been one of the best hitters the yeah. last couple of weeks. Yeah. Yep. Um, All right. Well, yeah. thank you guys for letting me talk. Absolutely. Yeah, no absolutely. Kyle, yeah. thank you very thank much you. for calling in. Uh, hopefully we can get you on again sometime. No problem. Anytime, guys. All right. Take care. Have a good night, thank Kyle. Thank you. You too. As um, that was James's friend Kyle from yep. home, uh, great to have him call in. And... On that note, let's get to the New York Yankees, 35 and 17, second place in the AL East. Uh, after getting outslugged and losing their first series since mid-April to the Rangers last week, they found a gem in Gleyber Torres, just 21 years old, uh, youngest player to hit a home run in three straight games. He had four home runs in three games last week, first to do that since his teammate Giancarlo Stanton, and coming off a 5 to 3 win last night where Luis Severino. Seven innings of work, 11 strikeouts, improves to 8-1 on the season. And, Kyle, the Yankees have won 11 out of Severino's 12 starts this season. Yeah, we've been talking about it every single week, you know, how he's a potential Cy Young candidate, and, and he really is, and it's showing. Uh, you, you see how last night, he, uh, I believe it was up until the fifth inning, I believe, that was when he finally gave up his first hit to uh, uh, Jose Altuve. So this guy is definitely a quality starter. You know he's the Yankees' ace. He's probably their best starter as a pitcher, definitely, without a doubt. And he's definitely not one of the best players, definitely one of the best players in the American League and in the entire MLB as a pitcher, as far as as I'm concerned. From what I've seen so far out of him this season, it's just consistency after consistency. You know out of the entire Yankees' uh, pitching roster right now, you could definitely depend on him for him to carry – a game like this and it's good to see because you're really not getting the same type of production from the rest of these guys he's the only one that you could say you would want him to pitch every game absolutely I mean, a doubt. when I, I watched the game last night but I saw him back news day 
eight and one. We were just talking. What were we talking about him last week? I believe. Yeah, yeah, that was right. It's like I'm like this guy's the real deal. It's New York, so you know, being eight and one can have very high effects on you or very negative effects on you. Um, Eleven Ks. Yeah, no, that really sticks out. Yeah, that sticks out, and you're playing against the Houston Astros. It's no sleepaway team. You have guys like Correa, George Springer, Jose Altuve, one of the best hitters in the league. Um, this team is loaded. They're stacked. And to strike a, you 11 know, of them out? Yeah. 11 of your batters out that you faced in seven innings of work. And, you know, sp- speaking of that, 11 of his 21 outs were strikeouts. Yeah. So very impressive. Kyle, another thought. The bullpen has been one of the Yankees' strongest points over the last couple of years. Is it good to see Robertson holding his ground in the eighth inning again? It's definitely good to see Robertson seeing what we saw out of, him, uh, out of him last season after yeah. he got traded over to the Yankees from the White Sox. Yep. But not just him, Tom. Aroldis Chapman, who was mm-hmm. very bad last season. 12 saves now. He was very bad last season. And that was one of the Yankees' worries going into a series, like a series like Houston. Is this yeah. guy, can we count on this guy yeah. to win? Mm-hmm. Can we count on this guy to take us to that next level in the playoffs? Probably. And I'm seeing it out of him this season because, like you said, Tom, 12 saves. And this guy's doing it, throwing 101, 102 miles per hour. Yeah, on almost every pitch, He's the guy impressive. doesn't go below ninety-five. Yeah, yeah. Um, James, go ahead. Another point. Um, the Yankees—they took two out of three from Houston, yes. and they took five out of seven games from the World Series champions, the defending World Series champions, and they will not play again for the rest of the twenty eighteen season. The Yankees and Astros are now done really? playing each other until the postseason if they get there is this a potential ALCS matchup yes I think without a doubt it's a potential ALCS matchup but I didn't know that Tom that they this was the last that they were playing that's not good that's I mean some people look at that as a good thing you know you rip it off like a band-aid but it's only May yeah but you're five and two against again yeah you're right it's only May things can be different four months down the line when we're sitting here, and then you're up at Penn State, you know, yeah, thinking, yeah. all right, well, yeah, you know, absolutely. you'll have to be calling in by that point. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> but like we were talking about, you know, you see a guy like Verlander get added to the lineup half, uh, at the trade deadline. Yep. You know, I'm not saying they're adding another Verlander, yeah. but they could definitely add another quality piece to this team that the Yankees haven't faced. Absolutely. I mean, so it's definitely, you know, definitely good to see out of a World Series team, you know, this type of quality yeah. starts out of this Yankee team. Definitely good to see that they're capable of winning at the Astros Stadium, yeah. because that was a problem in the postseason. Minute Maid Park, look, it's it's a nice ballpark. Yeah, and I got to say one thing too: the way Robertson and Chapman not just pitched well, but they really shut the door yeah. on Houston yeah. last night. Um, and what's really impressed me with the Yankees, you know, we talked about how good their offense has been, just top to bottom. Everyone is so impressive. You know, guys getting out of slumps, and even when guys are in slumps, they're still producing five to six runs a night. Uh, Brett Gardner, their leadoff guy, last seven games he's hitting 429. Talk about his impact and how he sets the tone and strikes fear in opposing starting pitchers, especially the good ones. Yeah, Brett Gardner is a, is a vet. You know, he was there. Everybody forgets in 2009. He, he was a quality, old. quality starter. Yeah. You know, and, and I hear Yankees fans left and right because you know before this seven game stre- uh, stretch of success for Brett Gardner, people were calling him out saying, "Let Hicks start. Let Frazier start." You know, because Gardner's not giving you the quality at bats. Yeah. And I understand that point of view. You know, maybe let the young guy get a couple games, a couple swings in. But Brett Gardner is a veteran. 
He's one of the he's the oldest guy on this team right now besides CC. He changes CC. the game. He changes yeah. the game. He's been there, he's done that. He's been in these positions before yeah. and he's still a solid leadoff hitter for this Yankees team. Yep. Absolutely. Um and not just Gardner too. You know, you talk about Hicks uh moments ago coming out of a slump. Gary Sanchez as well trying to come out of his slump. Uh the both of them are producing now and this is the part that's scary because you think about it and you're sitting here, wow. These guys are producing now on top of Aaron Judge, yep. who apparently leads the Yankees, 15 homers, 40 ribbies. And we talk about Judge laying off the tough pitches this season yes. and crushing sliders. I mean, he's doing a phenomenal job at bat. Yeah, it, he's uh, hat off to him again. Um, if this, like you said, this lineup is kind of getting hot all together, and uh, with them getting hot, it's going to be scary for opposing pitchers. Now, Kyle, um, I know you have to go in a few, but the Yankees now embark on an 11-game road trip ending at City Field for the Subway Series, and it kicks off tonight four games against the Baltimore Orioles with Sonny Gray, who has definitely not been a good piece to this rotation, 3-4, and four, ERA just under 6, and he'll deal off against Andrew Kashner, 2-6, and six, ERA over 5. Kyle? This is going to be an awful, I hate to speculate, an awful pitching matchup tonight. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kashner, who has a 5.07, has two wins, six losses. You know, but this is, for me as a Yankees fan, because he's probably the most worrying pitcher out there. You know, when it comes down, when you think of a team like this, the Yankees, when it comes down to the playoffs, this guy's going to have to start. So is he going to be able to do that? Right. You know, this is a make-or-break pitching outing for him. You know, you're playing a team like the Orioles. Are not good. You're facing up against a pitcher who's not dominant, who's old. He's had one quality start in his last five outings. Kashner. Yeah. So yeah. you know. Uh, so you know. Gray you could, is just a mystery. He's hit or miss. You know you could depend on the batting. Yeah. But can we depend on you, Sonny Gray? Right. To get a solid five, six outings in. Yep. You think, innings. My bad. You think tonight will be a slugfest? Looking at both of these ERAs. Yeah, because I'm looking at the Yankees lineup right now I mean, for tonight, top lineup. to bottom. All right, Gardner. Judge. Bird is back at first base, by the way. Great to see Greg Bird back in a Yankee uniform. And Torres went down. Remember we were contemplating last week yep. who was going to get mm-hmm. demoted? Yep. Tyler Austin stayed. Torres went down. Gardner, Judge, Bird, Giancarlo Stanton, the DH. Didi is fifth. Hicks will hit sixth. Former Met Neil Walker hits seventh. Austin Romine, eighth. And then your number nine hitter is Gliber Torres. Good Lord. You know what? When he's been doing <laughs> <laughs> when he's been doing this, for the Mets. it's almost like you see this in Gliber Torres where you say, you know what, you know, give the kid a bone, move him up yeah. a couple of places in the spot, but you, you just can't. And they're so dominant all around. Where do you, where do you move him up? Well, look, you got to go through the, Ori- uh, the Orioles, too. You got Jones, Manny Machado, Mark Trumbo. Yeah. Mark Trumbo. <laughs> John, don't sleep on Jonathan Scoop either and Trey Mancini. Mancini on my fantasy team. So keep that in mind in the seven hole, those seven bombs. Um, but yeah, any final thoughts on the Yankees? Uh, well, they're about to go on an eleven-game road trip, I believe, right now. Right. Yep. So they're starting at with the Orioles. I know they're ending with the Mets. Who do they play in between? Um, Is it? That's a great question. Yeah, we're gonna have to get that up. I'm. Pr- I. I think it's another National League team. It might be. I know the Yankees already played the Nationals. Yes, and they played Miami. Yeah. 
Um, let's see. Well, they have four against Baltimore. I think they play. Something tells me they play Detroit. Detroit in, in on Monday. Yes. All right. Oh yeah, because they have to make up the games because so of the rain. Yeah. That Detroit's Monday. Yeah. And then they go to the Blue Jays on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, they're at the Blue Jays Wednesday. Bear with me for a second. It's going to be the Blue Jays they're on off Wednesday. Thursday. Off Thursday, and then the Mets Friday. And then right. City Field. The so, yeah, yeah this is definitely, sense. when you look at this 11-game road trip, this is definitely 11 games, and I'm not just being a Yankees fan here, a homer, but these are 11 games that you should win. These are This is the Orioles. We're at the bottom of the division. I doubt they'll win all 11. Uh, well, without a doubt, they won't win. Without they'll win all. nine. How about Ho- that? I'll settle for nine, Tom. I'll settle for nine. Settling. I'll settle for Settling nine. on the show. Listen, I'm, right. I'm excited, Tom. This <laughs> Yankees team is very exciting. You know, I wasn't, oh. you know, as a nine-year-old, you don't really remember the stuff back in 2009 with the Yankees did. And you don't remember all those. Uh, wow, you were nine? I was nine years old. I was in uh, high school. I was nine years old. I was 14 when that happened. You don't remember all this stuff. So, you know, you know when, you, <laughs> when you start really getting into it in your, in your teenage years, you know, you really didn't see anything out of the Yankees, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old. Yep. So now you see something as a 17-year-old for the first time. Oh, this is crazy, you know. They might go to the World Series. And now I'm going to be 18 in two weeks, June 12th. So, you know, this is definitely exciting for me as a fan. This is definitely exciting. Something legendary, you know, something once-in-a-generational type of team this is. Kyle Russo, our under-18 on the show, as he coins it, until two weeks from now. On that (laughs) note, we're going to step aside for our final break. Kyle Russo will be leaving us. When we come back, it'll be me and James. We'll be talking about review and previewing some of the big games and go over our team of the week. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWP Sports. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I am your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside James Montefusco. Kyle Russo has left the building <laughs> with his pride. As we now transition to our next segment, Team of the Week. It is the top of the hour. And Kyle, James, he left yes. you his Team of the Week. He did, Tom. Let's get straight to his. He picked Vegas, the Golden Knights of the finals in hockey. I can, I see why he picked that. Um, I've seen both games. Um, they won the first game. Great game. They lost the second game. They should have won that game as well. There was an amazing save by the cap. Yeah, by the Capitals goalie, which was just speechless yeah. in my opinion. I'm pretty sure in his opinion too. So I see why he picked it. Um, as to his team of the week, considering their brand new team and expansion team, like he's been saying, and are now in the Stanley Cup finals, tied series tied 1 1. Many first year teams don't do that. So I see why he picked Vegas Golden Knights. All right, James, let's get to your team of the week. So I am going with the Seattle Mar- Mariners, if I'm saying that correctly. Good pick. Uh, thank you. I picked that. We were talking to them about them not too long ago with the suspension and stuff. And just to see them now in second place, I believe a game, a game and a half out at the AL West, um, which is very cool for them to be a a game out um, 
below Houston, mm-hmm. considering we didn't think they had. I mean, it's a long season playoff contention, yeah. let alone <laughs> being a game out of first place now. You know it. So um, that's my team of the week. I want to see how they continue, either if they ever make it a first place or even if they stay looming first, third. So we'll see. What about yours? Good pick. Um, so for my team of the week, um, I'm going to go with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay. Um, Good. You know, they've been written off all season, how they're not going to get back to the finals. All they have is LeBron. You know, Kyrie's gone. Kevin Love is not the star that everybody's saying that he is. The supporting cash isn't there. And even LeBron was doubting it. Everybody, including LeBron, was doubting them get to the finals. LeBron, after the Cavs traded half their team at the trade deadline just a couple months ago, and then you're asking LeBron to bring back a team you just threw a bunch of guys together on a roster. You're the four seed in the East, a four seed in the East. Yeah. For LeBron, that's bad. This is a guy who has now been to the finals eight straight years. And to overcome that adversity, uh, getting through Indiana in seven games, a lot of people are thinking, will the Cavs even survive round one? Mm-hmm. They blow by Toronto in round two. The number one seed in the East, they destroyed them. Oh, yeah. And then beating the Boston Celtics, and I think who should be coach of the year, Brad Stevens. Yes. Um, why he didn't get any votes, I'm not too sure. But uh, realistically, I think uh, the Cavaliers deserve to be my team of the week. Um, let's finish up baseball. Let's preview some of the games tonight. The Pittsburgh Pirates will be at the St. Louis Cardinals. Trevor Williams will be starting for Pittsburgh. He is uh, 5-3 and three with a 3.43 earned on average against Jack Flaherty, mm. just 22 years old, ERA barely over 2. He's 2-1, and one. and I like what Flaherty has done for the St. Louis Cardinals because right now St. Louis, they're a force to be messing, uh, a force to be wrecking with, I should say. Um, you know, they're over 500, and they're yes. competing in the NL Central, very competitive division. Uh, you know, you got the Cubs, you got the Pirates. You got the Brew Crew. Yeah. Yeah, they're only five games out. Pirates at Cardinals should be an excellent series. Now, the Nationals and the Braves, Nats, pretty sure they're 10 games over 500 now. I believe they are 32 and 22. Correct, yes. And they now possess first place after Atlanta lost to the Mets last night by half a game. Yes. And they will actually be playing Atlanta tonight, so we'll see who is in sole possession of first place Mm -hmm. at the end of this weekend. The Nationals will send out Tanner Rourke, 2-4 and four record, and again, Sean Newcomb. And for Atlanta, he's been the real recipe to their success. The 24-year-old, 5-1 um, record, he's shown me some good stuff. You know, he's got, you know, I'm not really going to compare him to like a pitcher of the past, but he's got his own unique way of delivering to hitters and confusing them at the plate. Mm-hmm. He's got a good relationship with Kurt Suzuki, whoever's catching for the Braves. Um, I really like what he's done for Atlanta. Yeah. I really do. Um, another game, another team out of the NL East, the Phillies at the Dodgers, the return of Clayton Kershaw. Very excited for that game, James. Very excited yeah. for that tonight. Me too. Uh, because Aaron Nola takes the mound for the Phillies. Another young stud, 6-2 and two record, low ERA. Really like what he's done for the Phillies this season. Again, he's been part of the reason why they've been um, – yes up there you know they're well over 500 surprising a lot of people the young lineup look Hoskins hits the DL that's going to be key but 
if you're the Dodgers, having Kershaw back, you really need that. And it's a big motivator. Activated today. Yeah. That's a big motivating point, too, for that team. Kershaw is your main guy. He's your ace, which everybody knows. You know when you hear Kershaw go up to the mound, he's going to usually have his light-out stuff. Yeah, he's going to get roars tonight. (laughs) Yeah, let alone he came back from the 10-day DL. You know, he may have a little shaky start, but I think he'll find his form rather quickly. Yeah. uh, Just because on on me watching who he is and knowing kind of what type of team the Dodgers is and who's he he's facing the Phillies as well. Absolutely. Uh, all good points. The next series coming up in the AL West. Late start for the Texas Rangers playing the Seattle Mariners. And Seattle, James, who is your team of the week, 11 yes. games over five hundred. They've been very impressive. They have. And to play the Rangers that's at the bottom of their division, they could really become, that could really help them to proceed maybe ultimately to that next level. Yeah. No, absolutely. I agree with everything you said there. Seattle has been great this season. They have not been to the playoffs, though, since 2001, and they would be without Robinson Cano (laughs) if they do get there. Um, And pitching for the Seattle Mariners tonight, Wade LeBlanc, um, on the older side, the lefty, and he's still looking for his first win of the season. He hasn't won nor lost the game. And then for the Rangers, it's Mike Miner, okay. another old guy, ERA well over five. He struggled. Another lefty, another guy north of thirty. So let's see if the bats come out tonight. Rangers ten games under five hundred, but they did take a series from the Yankees, the red hot Yankees last week. Um, and then the last game, James, my game uh, my series of the week mm-hmm. the Boston Red Sox at the Houston Astros Astros just lost two out of three to the Yanks yep Boston comes in here Pomeranz will start tonight ERA just under seven he struggled this season and then Lance McCullers for the Houston Astros one of the heroes of the World Series last season um, and the ALCS as well throughout all postseason for Houston he's six and three he's been very impressive yep. for the Astros Really a good supplement to their rotation. You talk about having guys like Justin Verlander. Keuchel has really struggled, so the fact that McCullers has stepped his game up mm. is really good for them. Um, and, then, of course, Charlie Morton. This is going to be an excellent series. Yeah, um, this is a series to watch, Either, even if you can't watch it in certain areas. I hope you would. <laughs> yeah. I, ho- I hope or you're able to watch that. At least watch replays because Boston can easily hit – 42 games, I'm giving them, if it's a three-game series, I'm giving yeah. them one loss. All right? So they're going to be the first one of 40. Congrats. Hats off to them. <laughs> um, then the Ash- Astros, if they beat Boston, they could gain some steam against right. Boston and the Yankees, which they could ultimately meet up in the playoffs. Yeah. So by seeing this, it could give some type of sense Boston wins. They may just run the AL East. Yankees mm-hmm. will be always a game behind or two, whatever. And then if Houston wins, they're going to run the West. I think the Red Sox, believe it or not, I think they have the advantage in this series, um, despite Houston being home. Uh, if you look for the Astros, Altuve has had a lot of success against Pomeranz. He's hitting four twelve. 
mm-hmm. and he's done a real nice job. But tonight, at least, you're looking at Boston against McCullers. Three guys that really stick out to me. Uh, Xander Bogarts has been phenomenal. He's hitting 333 along with Andrew Benatendi, who's been a great addition for Boston, uh, really coming into his own. And then Mookie Betts, oh, yeah. one of the best hitters in baseball. Yes. Um, silver slugger candidate this season for sure. Uh, Betts hitting 444 against McCullers. And again, McCullers is an excellent pitcher. So the fact that he's hitting that well, again, serves as a testament to how well-rounded Boston's lineup is. Yes. I think the Red Sox are a force to be reckoned with. I think they're the one team standing between the Yankees and the Astros meeting up again in the ALCS. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, if the if Boston some reason falls off a cliff or goes into a big uh, tailspin, it's going to be the rematch. All right, quick reminder, folks, you can call in with your questions, thoughts, comments, as James's friend Kyle did earlier at our call number, 516-299-2030. Take part in our live show, and you can watch us on Facebook Live or listen to us on wcwpsports.org, and we are podcasting as well. Um, Before we transition into basketball, let's take a moment. Um, So I took over hosting the show back in late January. January 25th was my first show as the official host. It has now been over four months, so it feels like yesterday I just started hosting the show officially. So great to be here, great to still be hosting. Um, shout out to Tommy Mack, Brian Marbach, all the guys that led me to this point. Now transitioning to the NBA for a moment, or we'll spend a few minutes on basketball tonight. Um, actually, there, there's a lot to talk about. Um, the Cavaliers win the Eastern Conference Finals. Game 7. Both series go to Game 7. Awesome. Yes. Considering how lackluster, I guess you can say lackadaisical, the semi-finals were in each mm-hmm. conference, for that matter. There was, was really not much of a contest in either no. conference. Um, the Cavaliers win Game 7, 87-79. What did you see in Game 7, James? LeBron. Yeah, you know, that's pretty I mean, much all you can say. Unfortunately, it's sad to say, but LeBron, um, I think that young talent of the Celtics kind of kicked in for them, where it was like, man, we're almost there, but at the same time, it's like... Inexperience. Yeah, the inexperience. It showed. It showed at that, ga- at that point, sure. which is totally fine for a young team. Right. Um, but then you saw LeBron had, what, 22 points? Something like that. He had 35 in Game okay. 7. So 35, my, my bad. Um, so he went off, and then um, I think that team was starting to kind of gel, it looked a little like. Bit. yeah. Um, there was a pitcher that had LeBron all iced up after the game. So it showed that mm-hmm. he, he put, you know, every his heart and soul into that game. Yeah. Um, so, again, the experience, I think, played on the Celtics. But great win for the Cavs. They're going back. Um, I can say I'm not really looking forward to another rematch. Right. But, you know, if this is the last game LeBron LeBron plays as a Cav, um, it should be interesting. Right. Um, Yeah, a lot of people have shown complaints about this series. But um, one of my good buddies, Matt, from WCWP, stated that 20 years from now, People are going to be saying the Cavs and the Warriors met in the finals four straight years. Yes. That was really cool. You know, like 20 years from now, people might be saying, 
you know, teams can't really do that anymore. But we'll see. We'll see if it plagues out to be a good series. Uh, but back to the Cavs winning the Eastern Conference. They, hand, they handed the Celtics their first home loss of mm-hmm. the 2018 playoffs. Uh, really, it was all about LeBron. He played the entire game, all 48 minutes, 35 points, 15 boards, 9 assists. But we really won Boston this game. Uh, Boston, excuse me, Cleveland, the supporting cast. Yes. They were without Kevin Love, keep in mind, in the concussion protocol to beat Boston on the road in a game seven without Kevin Love. It's pretty big. That's a big uh, confidence booster for that whole team. The guy who started in Kevin Love's place mm-hmm. was the guy that helped Cleveland secure this victory in Jeff Green, the former Boston Celtic. Jeff Green had 19 points, 8 rebounds. He was very efficient shooting the rock late, and he really proved to be the difference maker in this mm-hmm. game along with LeBron James. Uh, I think he made enough plays so that they can win. And Boston needed their three young guys in the backcourt. In a, not including Jason Tatum, but mm-hmm. Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier, Jalen Brown. Yeah. Boston just needed one of those guys to put up big numbers in addition to Tatum to win this game. Oh, yeah. Oh, one person should have just stepped up. Smart, 1 for 10 from the field. Terry Rozier, predicted to have a monster game 7 after mm-hmm. a monster game 6. 2 for 14. Jalen Brown. The 21-year-old, 5 for 18. This is the reason why the Celtics lost Game 7. Yes. The stage was too high, too high maintenance, too high pressure for these young guys that have never been here before. It's like LeBron has been here already. Uh, the Cavaliers, yeah, you threw a team together at the trade deadline, but they all have playoff experience. Yes. Kyle Korver, playoff experience. George Hill, playoff experience with the Indiana Pacers. Uh, San Antonio Spurs, you're looking at guys like Jeff Green, who's been in postseason throughout the course of his career. And then you're adding you know, Tr- Tristan Thompson as well, who mm-hmm. was a force in Game 7. I really like what Cleveland did in Game 7. And you're looking at guys like Smart, Rozier, Brown, even Tatum. These are four young guys still trying to figure this all out. Yes. You know, this is their first time in the conference finals. They're not used to this pressure, this high immense stage. They were unable to handle the pressure. And that's why Boston lost their first series ever when leading a series 2-0. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 the, like I said earlier, the young experience kicked in for them. Yeah. Um, Tatum, he's always played with the bigger kids when he was younger. So that was an advantage to him, kind of say, with 24 points. But I'm sorry, if I was on a team knowing Tatum dropping 24 points, we're playing LeBron James, and I'm 22, and then you see we're down by, what, nine, eight? Right. I, either I'm going to try to rally myself or try to rally one of these other guys and be like, listen, either one of us have to has to step up, all three of us have to step up, or we just need to put better numbers up yeah. than Brown, five for 18. Yeah. Rozier, two for 14. Smart, one for 10. Like, Not good enough. No, or even one of the one of the bench players or one of the coaches should have been like, "Right, listen, you're not producing. you got to step up if you want to go further. Right. Well, I think Stevens was enforcing take smarter shots. They took a lot of threes in transition when they fell behind, and they were unable to say, hey, we can still get twos here this late in the game. As a team, they only shot 34% the entire game, which is not good. It's no. not good enough if you're, if you're playing LeBron and Cleveland. Boston had 
heavy favorites written all over them in this game because yes, they were they home did. and they had this young talent and a blossoming star in the 2018 postseason in rookie Jason Tatum. Now, I have a theory as to why, as another reason as to why Boston lost Game 7. Mm-hmm. Not playing Aaron Baines late in this game, the center out of New Zealand. Aaron Baines, one of two players on the roster mm-hmm. with an NBA title, with the ring, the San Antonio Spurs, when he first started. Aaron Baines had so many offensive rebounds in this series. He had three early on in the game, up until the third quarter. Aaron Baines didn't see the floor in the fourth quarter. That's wow. my first problem because, you know, you're dealing Al Horford. Yes, I know Cleveland went smaller, and if you're Boston, you want to try to match that. Yeah. But why don't you just try to pound the ball inside you got to an undersized guy. Cleveland team, get them into foul trouble. You're going to force them to come over. You know, you could have gotten a guy like Jeff Green out of the game who was basically there five Yeah. when Tristan Thompson wasn't on the floor. Yeah, th- That was a way I think Boston could have counteracted what Cleveland was doing to be more efficient on both ends of the floor and win the game. Because Baines is an excellent defender, so is Al Horford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And then you have that talent with Brown, Rozier, and Tatum. They were efficient throughout the whole postseason. I think having Baines in the lineup would have took more pressure off the younger guys, more experience than playing Marcus Smart the entire fourth quarter. Yet, who, yes, can make things happen, but... Not going one for ten. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah they, they should at least put him in, even for if it was a minute and a half, whatever. You know, he's experienced. Like you said, he has the ring. They were tired. Yeah. Look, so was Cleveland, but Cleveland had the experience factor. Boston did not. If you had that one experienced guy, he could easily say on, like, say if right. they got, like, into a foul shot or just even a yeah. ball out of play, just a quick 30 seconds, to however long it is, Yeah. just to be like, listen, listen to me, follow my lead, we got this. Right. You know, something like that may just click in one of those young guys' players and have them remember that to push them all the way over. Mm-hmm. The Celtics are now 37-1 and when leading a series 2-0. In Game 7, Tatum led the Celtics with 24 points, and Marcus Morris was a good contributor for them off the bench. 14 points, 12 boards, double-double machine. He was a great factor in all of postseason, and the reason why I'm bringing that up, looking forward to next season. Mm-hmm. Rumor has it Gordon Hayward will be ready for training camp, which is awesome. That's great. And you're looking at Boston's lineup next year. We're not sure if Marcus Smart is going to come back. We're not sure if Aaron Baines is going to come back. I think you need to re-sign Baines. Hopefully they get Smart back for their sake, but if they let him walk, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. I, they might let him walk. There's a chance. Um, I just think the backcourt's going to be too crowded now with Smart, Rozier, Brown, and Ir- Kyrie Irving coming back, all demanding playing time, significant minutes. Well, Kyrie um, Irving, yeah. he's definitely demanding that. Right, so. and Irving and Brown should be the starting two in the backcourt next season. And let's say if everybody stays mm-hmm. intact, Boston's lineup next year, your starting five would be Kyrie Irving, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, and Gordon Hayward. And then your bench would be Terry Rozier, mm-hmm. Marcus Smart, Marcus Morris, Aaron Baines. That's a pretty impressive bench. That's a very impressive bench. And then you still have guys like Shane Larkin, Daniel Tite, like, you know, a lot of guys. You still got some other guys where they exactly. can, somebody gets injured or just needs a few days off. Yeah. Call right back up, and I'm pretty sure they can produce. Yeah. You know, Rozier and Smart and that backcourt off the bench together, that's very impressive. Yes. Uh, so we'll see what Boston does 
um, for next season. They're going to be back for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, Love missed Game 7 and most of Game 6 in the concussion protocol. Will he play tonight? Well, he has been cleared, so that's excellent news. On that note, we will step aside for a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Western Conference Finals and preview the NBA Finals tonight. Good evening and welcome back to Review and Preview. I am your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside James Montefusco. James, great show so far. Yes, it has been. Just finished up Cleveland and LeBron James getting back to the NBA Finals for the eighth straight year. Now let's talk about their counterparts from the Western Conference Golden State Warriors. will be joining them. The Golden State Warriors defeated the Houston Rockets in Game 7, 101-92. Kevin Durant leading the way with 34 points. Steph Curry came back in round two of the postseason, had 27 points, nine boards, 10 assists in game seven. And Steph Curry was one rebound shy of a triple-double. So very impressive with how well-rounded Golden State is. Klay Thompson oh, yes. had just was just shy of 20 points as well. Um, all around those four, including Draymond Green, too much for Houston to handle. Even out with Andre Iguodala in games four through seven, they did enough defensively to hold off Houston. However, Houston was missing their star point guard in games six and seven in CP3, Chris Paul. They were. He was desperate to get to the NBA Finals for the first time in his career. Was not having Chris Paul the reason why Golden State is advancing and not Houston? I think so. I mean... So you think Houston would have won the series with Chris Paul? I think it would have been a lot closer than what the score says. Right. At least. I think... Um, Makes sense. Because Harden, again, he play, he played very hard with 32 points. Yeah. Um, I think with Chris Paul, may have had a bigger impact. You know, you got some... You Say if you had him, Harden wouldn't be doing so much of the work. Right. He wouldn't be pulling that heavy workload mm-hmm. if you had him. Um, it may have changed the impact of the game in right. Game 7, but if he was playing hurt, I don't know how much of a factor he would have been if he's not 100%. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, look, it's it's one of those unfortunate scenarios where you don't have your star guard. Uh, but nevertheless, that's no excuse because LeBron was without Kevin Love, and look what he was able to do. Um, yeah. Then again, LeBron is also LeBron compared to James Harden, who really struggled in Game 7. Yes, he had 32 points, but just 12 for 29 from the field and 2 for 13 beyond the arc, leading to the Warriors making their fourth straight NBA Finals appearance against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And a lot of people are like, well, this is what the NBA wants. This is what they predicted. Mm -hmm. They wanted to see Golden State and Cleveland again. Um, It's gone back and forth the last three years. Golden State won the NBA title in 2015. Yeah, Cleveland won in 2016, and then Golden State won last year. Can Golden State repeat what they did to Cleveland last year, beating them in five games? Because that's what a lot of people are predicting right now. Yeah, I think so. I was I was reading up on Bleacher Report before the show, and uh, a lot of them had them pick mostly in five games. There was one person yeah. that picked six. Um, so I think 
because if you look at the Warriors, they got Durant, they got Curry, they got they got those guys, right? Mm-hmm. The Cavs have, uh, they got. I'm assuming Love is going to play some type of game today, tonight. Then you got LeBron. Um, so I mean, not very big names on that side, uh, but I think the Warriors will get it in uh, yeah. five. Um, because I saw somewhere that Durant was going to follow um, LeBron most of tonight's game, um, so I'm going to I'm going to say that a few games will be close, but I think it will be the Warriors. Yeah, I agree. You know, talking about the NBA Finals now. Yes, Andre Iguodala will be out for Game One with a leg contusion, and Love has been cleared from the concussion protocol. But well, the way the Golden State Warriors have manhandled opponents in the third quarter of the playoffs is what separated them from the rest of the pack. That's why they're oh, yeah. back at the NBA Finals. Steve Kerr knows how to coach basketball. Mm, yes, he does. And Golden State has, has, the, has the clear edge in this series. And I'm going to agree with you. I think Golden State's going to win in five. Um, I think that's the norm of what people are predicting. Yeah. Uh, the only way that I don't think they will is if somebody gets hurt whether it's Thompson, Curry, Durant, Green, one of those four. Um, I'm not counting Cleveland out at all. And there's actually a theory that you talk about not having Kyrie Irving this year because mm-hmm. last year the Cavs had Kyrie Irving and they still lost in five. And, you know, George Hill compared to Kyrie Irving is a tremendous downgrade. Now, what I think, what I really think is going to happen is that LeBron is going to perform better because – the theory of the Cavs winning without Irving mm. is less being more for LeBron. So LeBron having less means more for him. Mm. And more of, Lebo- more of LeBron is certainly not a bad thing. You see how it worked against Boston. Oh, yeah. Overall, I don't think it's going to happen. But in terms of LeBron carrying this team, that's the only way they're going to win. But less being more is my only possible theory on how Cleveland can win this series because the supporting cast is hit or miss every night. You don't know oh, if yeah. they're going to show up. But Steph Curry actually passed the comment, quote, stop disrespecting Cleveland's supporting cast because they've been, they've been, pounced, the, they've been pounced upon a lot in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, look. It's it's definitely tough. I think Tyron Lue deserves a lot of credit as the coach. He doesn't get much credit. He deserves a lot more than what he gets. Um, yes, the supporting cast has been an issue, but they're gelling together more now as a team. Uh, they've been together for a couple of months, most of these guys. But you're comparing this to a team that's been together all season in Golden State and who has four stars on their team. Yeah. Um yeah, you compare that. You got four stars on your team that's been gelling all season, and some of them a little bit more than this season. It it may have a factor, but what Steph Curry's saying was that uh, when he said stop dis- disrespecting Cavs, supporting Cavs, he could see something by watching the film that they probably have to do. Yeah, he must see something within that supporting cast that us being not basketball players we may not see it from watching it from a fan standpoint but seeing it from his standpoint as a player he may see something that if they may tweak say 
one thing they may gel a little better compared to what we're seeing. Oh, you know, they're missing this shot, this and that. So I think uh, Curry may have a point on yeah. stop disrespecting. I mean, he or he could just be saying yeah. that and be like, yeah, well, you know, I respect him, so we'll see. But yeah. I think it's uh, he must see something. I think the key to tonight's game, at least, is the third quarter. Yes. Because Golden State has scored opponents by well over 100 points in the third quarter in the playoffs combined. Uh, realistically, Golden State has it for them on a silver platter. The one person standing in the way is LeBron James. Yes. And how do they counteract that? Yes, the less is more theory for LeBron. Mm-hmm. Not having Irving can actually help Cleveland's performance. It's kind of like reverse psychology a little bit. I think that's the only way Cleveland can win the finals. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that's, where you're coming from. That's my theory. Look, Tyron Lue deserves a lot of credit. Did you hear the tweet from Cleveland Browns defensive back Demarius Randall on what he said? No. He said, quote-unquote, um, he tweeted that um, he will give people who retweet his tweet a jersey if the Cavaliers win the series. He's yeah. heavily doubting Cleveland winning the series, and there were over 950,000 tweets. And then he comes on a report the other day mm-hmm. uh, across the media, and then he says, I thought there wouldn't have been more than 100 tweets. Oh, no! now he, I remember seeing He was it. expecting yeah. less than 100 tweets. Now there was, there's over 950,000. So what are you going to do? You know? He promised his fan. He promised pretty much a lot of people yeah. jerseys. Um, so that, that makes it a little fun. In, in a sense, to get an NFL player yeah. into it, you know, maybe dr- bringing more fans in either direction. Um, coming from a Browns player standpoint, may bring more fans to the Browns. Team, o, team is 0-16 last season. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, for him to say that, I don't know, you know, coming from Browns. But that's, that's definitely very cool and very interesting. Right. Um, yeah, he didn't expect over 100 retweets as of right now. It's about 950,000 retweets. Let me go find that tweet and retweet that. Yeah. I'll take a free shirt. You can get two more retweets right now. My thing is if Cleveland somehow wins, what is Demarius Randall going to do? You know? That's (laughs) the thing. You're going to spend, you know, I'm pretty sure he was a rookie last season as well. I think so. So how are you going to pay all that money? There's probably to get over 950,000 people a jersey. Sponsorship. If Cleveland wins the NBA Finals. There's going to be... What a moron. There's going to be... Moron. I mean, something. how do you do that to yourself? Oh, man. Well, if Cleveland wins, I guess we'll find out when he uh, when he is bankrupt within the first five minutes after Cleveland wins. You know, part of me wants to pull for Cleveland just to see that happen. Yeah. I'm still pulling for Golden State, but just imagine. <laughs> the, to him contacting yeah. everybody of his retweets. So what's your address? I need to mail you the jersey. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's make our picks for these finals. Let's yep. make them final. Uh, what do you have? Still Warriors in five? Yeah. Yeah. Even though seeing this retweet, I don't like the Cavs, but I'm going with Warriors in five. Um, you know, I know I agree with you and said Warriors in five, and I'm going to stick with that. But don't be surprised if Cleveland can extend the series to maybe six games. Uh, partially because of the theory that I brought up earlier about how less is more for LeBron James. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, this can also be a potential series. You know, back in 2007 when Cleveland did not perform well in the finals against the San Antonio Spurs, it can be a series like that. Um, remember when LeBron was on Miami and lost to Dallas yep. in the finals that mm-hmm. one year? So LeBron has lost a lot in the finals, and I hate to say it, it's probably going to happen again. Yeah. This time in five games for the second straight year. I have a question for you. Would you, um, you know, it just went out of my head. Lost your train of thought there, James, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, there it is. Would you want, would you think the, the finals would be as interesting as game sevens or the, the last series? No. Do you think it would be? I think. Game seven mm-hmm. of the Western Conference yeah. Final was the NBA Final, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, theoretically speaking, those two were the best teams, the two best teams in the NBA last year were playing in the Western Conference Finals mm-hmm. this year. I should say, I think Houston and Golden State are just unmatchable for any team in the Eastern Conference. So you think the finals would be kind of boring? I'm not saying it's going to be boring. Um, you know, I think ratings might go down just mm-hmm. a little bit for the interest of the public opinion, but I still think LeBron's going to give it his all. I'm going to be watching every game. I know that. I'm oh, going to yeah. be going home tonight and watching it at 9 o'clock when it comes on. I think it starts at 9. 9 right? o'clock, yep. Yeah. Um, final thoughts here on basketball. Uh, other news in the NBA, and usually with the Knicks, it's nothing good. Mm-mm. with the hiring of Coach David Fisdale, a signing that a lot of people liked, and um, Ron Baker of the New York Knicks, a guy who only played 29 games last season, picks up his player option for next season, earning about $4.5 million. Um, look, Ron Baker is now playing in a very crowded backcourt for the New York Knicks, and he kind of earned his role on the team, earned his spot in the NBA. Mm-hmm attributed to hard work. Yeah. And Jeff Hornacek, the ex-Knicks coach, was a great fan of that. Baker played every game that he, that he was eligible to just about. He was in the rotation. And, you know, he was part of that second unit. With the crowded Knicks backcourt now, with the four guards, you got Moutier, you got Burke, Nidalekina. Jack's not going to be on the team next season, but you still got Tim Hardaway. And now having Courtney Lee and Ron Baker, it's a very crowded backcourt. I think it'll be interesting when they start their training, when when it starts to be like cuts and stuff. Right, and as Baker lost a step from missing, you know, about two thirds of the NBA season. Yeah. You know, that's my thing too. I think Ron Baker is an excellent player. Mm-hmm. I think he's sharp. He's well rounded. He's not the most athletic on the team, but he's very. He knows all the plays. I think he deserves to be on the next. He deserves a spot on the team. Yeah. Look, I, is he a starter? No. No, but... But he should be a consistent role player for them off the bench, and hopefully Fisdale has the proper recognition to that statistic of last season. For a guy who on paper only averages about two and a half points a game, he wins you games. Ron Baker's a winner. He shocked people at Wichita State. That's what he did. Yeah, he he's a winner, and he wants to come out. He wants to show the fans that with that crowded quote back that you said even just playing 29 games, there has to be something in his mind or even a chip on his yeah. shoulder being like, listen, I only play 25 games. I see the backfield, what it's going to be, how crowded it is and competitive it is. I need to step up my game now. 
and I started a quick Instagram live mm-hmm. video of the show, and uh, one of our viewers, Zach Mazzella, one of my good buddies who graduated with me last year from Post, uh, actually brought up how Kyle Korver can be a factor in this series. Mm. And a three-point shooter like that who has experience still mourning the death of his brother, Kurt Korver, uh, you know, very heavy heart for Cleveland and all his teammates, that could be an emotional ride as well for LeBron and for Kyle Korver, you know, to show up in the series and, you know, potentially steal a game or two from Golden State. Yeah. So the series is starting tonight. We won't know how this series is going to unfold until the two teams step on the court tonight, I think. So yeah. we'll see what happens. The only thing that may unfold is if Kevin Love starts the game. Yeah. On that note, we're going to step aside for our final break of the evening. When we return, we will wrap up our show with some NFL news and briefly touch upon the Stanley Cup final. You're listening to Review and Preview here on WCWP Sports. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. I am your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside James Montefusco. All right, our final block of the show. Let's talk some NFL football, currently in offseason. Got to talk about the policy, Roger Goodell, trying to fix things up, talking about the national anthem. Uh, Unanimously approved by NFL owners last week to require teams and players and all team personnel to stand for the national anthem and players who do not comply will be fined but they do have the option to remain in the in the locker room um this issue could be avoided if you just don't televise it on tv it could i think yeah i kind of agree with what the NFL is trying to do because it just doesn't look good on TV regardless of what injustices there may be um, and something funny uh, Giants longtime linebacker veteran Mark Herzlick is inviting President Trump, Donald Trump mm-hmm. to the Giants National Anthem <laughs> team meeting why? He I why? I, mean, I really don't know, to be honest. It's it's definitely uh, different. I have yeah. a player invite the president of the United States into the locker room a little team meeting. Um, but I think I see where he's coming from a little too. bit to maybe clarify different things. Right, clarify why the players, right, from a player perspective yes. as to why this is going on, to try to eliminate that divide. Yes. yes. Even if that means if... President Trump doesn't come to the locker room if they have like a phone conference or yeah. something. I think that would be beneficial for the players and mm-hmm. also for him, right? And maybe for even other people. Not that I'm taking sides and whatever. I'm not trying to get into politics here or anything. But I think it, it it makes sense from my standpoint. He he wants to inform the president maybe on why players are doing yeah. this from a player's perspective, right? And so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick update, the New York Yankees-Baltimore Orioles game is currently in a 
delay, okay. a weather delay down south in Baltimore. Uh, back to the National Anthem, though. Yeah, I see where Mark Herzlick and the players may be coming from. You know, a player the Giants signed this offseason, Michael Thomas, was mm-hmm. one of the original kneelers last season in protest of these racial injustices. And look, Michael Thomas, the former Miami Dolphin, has not decided on what he wants to do about the new policy. And he is not emotionally hijacked by this ruling, uh, meaning that he's most likely, I'd assume, going to respect whatever decision the NFL makes for the sake of the NFL, which the NFL is corrupt, man. I mean, look at the NFL right now. This is just embarrassing. It really is. Get back to football. That's all that matters. Everybody just wants to see football. I am not, you know... I don't really want to listen to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman talk about why people are kneeling. Joe Buck's the worst. Well, he's the worst. Besides that, yeah. Look, these pay, these players are being played paid to play a game. Yeah. Not to give your opinion on a certain thing, a certain thing regarding a very sensitive topic, very sensitive issue, where you know, I don't think people should be discussing. No. I don't think this should be brought up in the NFL. There's no issues with the NBA. Not or MLB. The NFL has some learning to do. Yes. Yeah. They like I said on one of the other shows, you don't see any other national anthem. No. The flag uh, unless it's the beginning of the season. Yes. Right. Baseball does that or like a home opener. I understand that. You know, oh, welcoming the season. Right. But maybe one way to fix this is not air it. On television, mm-hmm. um, let that be either an idea that goes through Roger Cadell's head or even Fox, NBC, ESPN, whatever. Yeah. Um, or you just have it, let it be the way it's been and yeah. have people's feelings get hurt and uh, move on yeah. kind of thing, you know? Look, not everybody's going to come away from this happy. Yeah. Because everybody has a different opinion on something. Oh, yeah. And that's what makes us unique. Um, So with that being said, um, you brought up a good point last week, James. It'll be interesting to see in these preseason games as to what players decide to do, what the team personnel and the coaches decide to do. On that note, um, let's talk about the New York Giants for a minute. We talked about how Herzlick will be inviting – President Trump, but a lot of transactions recently for the Giants. Former mm-hmm. Giants wide receiver Brandon Marshall has signed with yes. the Seattle Seahawks. Giants electing to not re-sign Marshall after just letting him walk, I think, is a good move because you, you freed up money oh, yeah. you freed up. to improve bigger needs in the offseason. Yes. And I think this is an excellent move. A lot of people are saying the Giants need a second receiver. That's not named Sterling Shepard. They need a better number two than Sterling Shepard. I don't think they do. I mean, yes, having another veteran coming in would help, but not necessarily a star number two guy, and here's why. Not only do you have Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard, you have Saquon Barkley, you have Evan Ingram, and you have Rhett Ellison. Yeah, you got some other guys that can fill that role. Red Ellison is going to play a much bigger role in the offense this season. Last year, he played on their 50% of the snaps mm-hmm. under Ben McAdoo. But now with Pat Shermer at the helm yeah. on the offense, uh, Red, Red Ellison is going to be a key guy in this offense. He's more known as a blocker. Don't be surprised if you see him in at fullback at times. I think he'll be very efficient there. 
but he's going to catch some passes. You know, yeah. he caught a lot of balls last season, and he was very efficient. He stayed healthy. He was on the field. He was their best addition. Him and Evan Ingram, the two tight ends, ironically enough, were the two best additions last season for yeah. Big Blue. Yeah, I think uh, seeing him in a bigger role, even if they make him as a hybrid, yeah, uh, which would be cool to see. Um, I I'm glad they let Marshall walk. Thank I'm goodness. glad he found another team. Thank goodness. Um, because he, everybody was like, oh, I was pretty like, all right, we got a bigger guy, bigger receiver, but then he got hurt, and I'm like, really, like, and he was having trouble getting separation in the early. Yes. games that he played this season. I don't think he maybe he had one catch through the first two games, if that. Something like that. And I'm like, tough. You're big. Use your, you know, like we brought you to bring separation. Right. Exactly. But you don't show that. So no. goodbye, you know. Right. I also hear they want a lot of the players want Des Bryant. That's a big room yeah. that's going around. Mm-hmm. Or they want DRC back, which I would love to see him back. He might get re-signed. I think he's the one guy the Giants might bring back. They're going to get him for cheap. You know, he's on the north side of 30 now. Oh, yeah. uh, a short-term deal, help him train these younger backs, help Jack Rabbit out. And I think he'd be a good complement to helping Eli Apple mature, who, by the way, has made a pretty good transition in the offseason. Yes. Getting a new clean slate, they like to call it, in New York. A lot of people forget he was the 10th overall selection in the 2016 NFL draft. His first two seasons... Not too great. No. Quarterbacks took advantage of him. A lot of mismatches for wide receivers. Part of it, a maturity issue, effort, lacking on the field. Uh, I think Pat Shermer brings a good velocity to this team. He has a goal. The Giants are nothing but business. And Mr. Gettleman as well, Dave Gettleman, has made it clear that he's not going to tolerate nonsense. Giants, no drama team. And Eli Apple has a new opportunity under yeah. defensive coordinator James Betcher. It's going to be a totally different uh, team, and to see them go out of there w- without any drama issues, yeah. which would be very nice for our two standpoints as fans, so we don't see an Odell Beckham proposing sure. to a catching yeah. uh, kicker's net and then right. Eli Apple having fits. And I think it will help this team, and signing DRC may be yeah. for cheap. For a one-year deal, maybe. um a good addition just yeah. to improve the younger guys and then go on. And you know, on the defensive side of the ball, staying there for a moment, B.J. Hill, third-round draft pick, has looked really impressive in OTAs. Yes. He's actually starting right now mm-hmm. on the defensive line along with Damon Snacks Harrison and Dalvin Tomlinson. Those are three humongous guys that fill Holes. the clogs. Yes, and the defensive line is shaped up now so that you don't need pass rushers on the line. Your outside linebackers are going to be, be pass rushers. And that's why they dealt away Jason Pierre-Paul, because he didn't really fit into the 3-4 scheme. He didn't, yeah. He's more of a 4-3 guy. Olivier Vernon fits more into the 3-4 scheme. He does. Scheme. He's going to be perfect in that, I think. Uh, Kareem Martin as well. The signing of Josh Morrow. Um Morrow making it clear, apologetic about his suspension mm-hmm. for the first four games. I think he's going to do uh, some good things yep. when he's back in week five. And we'll see what happens with the Giants moving forward. Uh, very promising season. The offensive line looks a lot better. Great competition, not just at the right tackle position, but at now the center position yeah. between Brett Jones and John Jalapio. Both young guys in their mid-20s, I think, 
that that may come down to the preseason as well? That team has a lot of competition inside, which is good because it builds character within the players and within the, the unit itself. And a competitive spirit as well. Yes, it does. When you kind of just give somebody for granted, the performance might not be there. Yeah. But not giving Hernandez, like rookie Will Hernandez, not putting him with the first team offensive line the first day of OTAs made sense. You know, if you're trying to do the smart thing, make him earn it. Yeah. Don't just give it to him. No. Because the pros are definitely different from college, but definitely looking forward to what the Giants are doing. The Jets, I don't know, man. Quarterbacks, they've looked impressive so far. Darnold, McCown, and Bridgewater. Bridgewater making a case to start. Yes, he is. That's going to be very interesting, and that might, again, come down to the wire. Yeah, that, that team always does, though. Yeah. You know, so it, I think the quarterback with Bridgewater there, I think I think it would create good competition. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, I think they'll be okay this year. Yeah. The Jets trying to improve from their 5-11 and season last year. Um, they have pieces, and, you know, they went out, they signed a couple of offensive linemen in the offseason. Yep. Um, our last minute of the show, Stanley Cup Finals last night after the Vegas Golden Knights win Game 1. The Caps come back to win Game 2. 3-2 to two win. Very impressive game. I really like where this series is headed. The Stanley Cup may be more watched than the, the NBA Finals. I, I believe so, too. you got two teams that have caps, never been there in 20-somewhat years. Vegas, brand-new team. Vegas, never been there, period. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so so for that, it's like a whole thing. It, right. I think it's going to be more watched than, obviously, the yeah. NBA, which for good reasons because you same two teams, but Vegas – I'm pulling for that. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. On that note, folks, thank you very much for tuning in to us tonight. You can tune in to us next week on WCWPSports.org from 5 to 7 p.m. on Thursday. On behalf of James Montefusco and Kyle Russo, I'm Tom Scavetta. You've been listening to Review and Preview here on WCWPSports.org. Good night, everybody. Enjoy the NBA Finals. But I'm not a leprechaun You wanna fight, then step up and we'll get it on You get a right to the grill I'm white and I ill A descendant of Dublin with Titanic skill I ducked and I swing Next thing your jaw's broken like what you hear? Here's how you can let us know. Give us a call at 516-299-2626 or email us at info at wcwp.org. Like us at facebook.com slash mywcwp and leave a comment or tweet us at mywcwp. We welcome all kinds of feedback. To directly support the podcast you just enjoyed, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to give back, visit WCWP.org and click the support tab. Thanks for listening from your friends at WCWP.